Welcome to the Core Podcast, brought to you by Core to Cloud. We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever-evolving environment. I'm Kelly, and I head up the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil talks technical, why I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Quarter Cloud team. So let's dive in. Welcome to another podcast. Um, and we're focusing again on mental health. And I'm delighted to have Steve here, who is one of our strategic partners with Silera, and Neil, who's supporting us with our campaign. Um, Steve, first of all, would you like to introduce yourself? And then I will, just to give the audience, um, both Steve and Neil are virtual. So it's going to be a little bit of me introducing everyone. But Steve, would you like to introduce yourself first? Yeah, morning. Morning, everyone. So Steve Brigden, I run Silera's UK business. Um, I was just chatting before we uh, came on air that I've actually been in technology for the longest time. So since 1984, I think it was my first technology job. So I've been been in the industry sort of forever. And, uh, you know, that comes with a lot of experience, I guess. So. And Neil, to the audience, um, people hope that might be listening may remember seeing you at ESCOM. Um, you also did a, a webinar for us back in COVID. <laughs> that seems like a lifetime ago as well. But anyone that wouldn't have met you or or not experienced um, your fantastic talk and work that you've done with us, could you could you give us an intro to yourself? Absolutely. Thanks, Kelly. It's lovely to be here with you again. Um, this, uh, yeah, it, it, my current role is I'm the Chief De-Stressing Officer at the Stress Management Society, so it's a non-profit organisation we've been running for 20 years, and I'm also the Chief Insights Officer for a research and consultancy organisation called International Wellbeing Insights. So I approached both of you um, because Core to Cloud really wanted to focus on mental health within the cybersecurity industry. There was a recent Gartner report talking about how burnout was a huge issue within our industry um i think it's something like 67 percent of the people that interviewed um had burnout and of that 51 percent of them were looking to come out of the industry um me and steve have a good understanding that it's hard enough to get people into tech <laughs> it's hard enough to get people into cybersecurity. it's hard enough to get women into cybersecurity. so there's a lot of issues with that and then if you're thinking actually the job's really stressful and our people are wanting to leave once they've got in we've got a little bit of a horrible mix going on there um Steve I kind of obviously like you said you've been in the industry for a long time <laughs> hence the long, yeah, emphasis on long. <laughs> long. sorry that, that. <laughs> <laughs> what was your what's your view of it and how it's changed since the 80s to now and and can you empathize and a little bit of that yeah, I mean, it, it's really fascinating, right? I mean, I think, I mean, the world has changed since the 80s, right? And and significantly for the better. I mean, if, if I think about how we used to work in the 80s, mid-80s when I first started, I mean, I don't know, we'd get sacked instantly if we behaved the way we behaved back then. Right? I mean, it, it's the the whole, uh, the whole industry has become significantly more professional. You know, the way we approach things has become more professional in terms of sort of sales techniques right as opposed to kick the door in grab an order and do a runner that was frankly how it used to work um 
you know, the whole sort of way we engage customers and, and make sure we're really focusing on what the customers need out of all of this, out of the technology is, is really important. And that, that's so that's changed absolutely fundamentally. But of course, what's changed also is the way we now think about ourselves over those last sort of, you know, 40 odd years. In, and even the fact that we're having this sort of conversation, you know, mental health wasn't a thing back in the 80s. Right? I mean, it really wasn't a thing or the 90s or probably even the noughties. And it's only in the last sort of 20 years. And Neil, Neil, the fact you sent your organisation up 20 years ago suggests that that's when it started to become a bit of a thing. Right. And that's, to my mind, has accelerated as a thing. It's become a thing over these last 20 years and more 10 years and more five years with awareness generally increasing. But yeah, I mean, it's night and day between when I first started in tech and and uh, where we are today. A huge, huge difference. So do you believe that the stress has always been there? Or do you think... I do. Okay, so you don't think it's yeah, just like that the, dress is, the job has got more stressful than that, but you think maybe people are, are more open to talking about it now? I think... I think that it's an enormously complex answer, right? I think okay. people are clearly more open to talking about it now, which is a good thing, right? And so, you know, that sort of makes it appear that there's more stress around today because people are talking about it more. I don't know if there is or there isn't, quite honestly. What I would say is it is a stressful role. It has always been a stressful role. Um, and especially as, you know, I'm in sales, essentially, right? Okay, you, you could call me business management or something but you know i've effectively got a sales role and that's that's the role i've always had and sales comes with targets every year that you've got to hit or you don't get paid properly and you know there's there's a sort of a whole emotional of actually am i only worthy if i'm hitting my targets and what if this year i fail my targets have i failed as a person and you know that to my mind leads to i mean you have, you have to be a sort of a a particular type of person to live in that world continually right and just that will i be able to put food on my table for my family right it sounds a bit trite but actually certainly when i was younger that's the mindset i had right it was all about making sure i hit the number hit my target so that i got paid so that we could go on holiday we could have our new car we could all of the things that when you're young those things are important and of course they are right and there's no different today if you ask any of any of our colleagues who are young, these are all important things, right? But that sort of how you judge your self-worth and your success, I think, is all built around that. And then when you start to struggle in achieving that, especially if you've had great success before and, you, and you've built yourself up thinking, actually, I'm brilliant. Look how brilliant I'm doing. The moment you start to not be so brilliant, in inverted commas, right, because you're not hitting the markers that you've set for yourself, it's really hard and that that certainly for me was what what sort of triggered me off i guess in, in sort of my mental health impact as a result i just want to go back to something you've raised there steve the um the, the stress was always there what are your thoughts about how technology's evolved particularly over the last 20 years you, you know obviously you'll remember a time pre-smartphone pre pre-internet as you said uh, in our offline conversation um pre-social media now we are the always on culture there was a point where your work day started when you arrived at work and you start focusing on targets etc now most people's work day starts the moment they open their eyes because the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is they look at their device that's the last thing they do at night we don't switch off so the pressure 
has increased significantly and we don't have kind of the the downtime the white space now many people are working from home so they don't even have the commute which gives them the delineation demarcation between work and home and you talked about again the kind of the comparisons where people are comparing themselves against themselves last month i hit my target this month i'm not now we have social media where you're comparing every single aspect of your life against someone that's got it better and we never seem to match up to this vision or image we have of what our life should be like so obviously technology is massively influencing this and essentially our technology is dictating how we live our lives. Has that contributed to where we find ourselves today? So brilliant and interesting question. So for me, so when, when I was talking earlier, I was talking about life in tech, right? So me and my job, right? But I also, I mean, getting into a huge error, right? But I 100% blame social media for the complete mess the world is in today, right? It was one of these things where we can call it an unintended consequence of what seemed like a good idea at the time, as snowballed massively out of control, right? So there, there, there are a couple of answers, right? So, so social media, especially on the influence on young, young people today, I think is really bad, very, very poor, right? The need to instantly respond or actually you're not a good friend and things like this, right? Let alone the, or I need to, I don't know, do my makeup in this way or be seen in these clothes or whatever it happens to be, right? That the social media brings with it. So all of that I think has, has spiraled out of control and is a bad thing, hundred uh, percent. Weirdly, right? And, and this could be just for me, right? But weirdly, the connectivity for me helps me feel more relaxed in I feel like I'm on top of my job, right? So the fact that I can see an email, respond to that if I need to, right? And this maybe gets on to how things have changed for me personally over the last 20 years or, or, or 40 years indeed, um, where I can go now, actually, I feel more relaxed because I'm on top of my, on top of my emails, right? I get, I get the shakes if I've got more than 20 unread emails, for example. I mean, I have zero unread emails today. And I can't live with, um, I can't live with it when I've got ten or twenty hundred emails. So you know, you can say that contributes to my stress, but the fact that I'm on top of it because I can do it on my phone when I'm, you know, in the evening or whatever, I actually prefer that. So it's, I think there's a whole balance around what works for you as an individual, but the all all uh, permanently connected social media reflecting about the broader society and how you measure up against that, I think 100% is is a, a real bad thing today and unintended consequence of what seemed like a good idea at the time. I have something to ask. Um, you mentioned about being in the sales role um, and hitting targets and then it was to get food and it was to get car and and I get all those things. Um, and obviously, I guess if you, you would have been around other younger salespeople, so if they were getting a new watch and a new, um, yep. do you feel those kind of um, uh, status symbols in the sales world, which I, you know, I, I still see it in the world, um, is even worse now because it's on social where it could have been like just your team and you'd see what your team was doing. But now you can now you can see all other salespeople in the industry on LinkedIn and on social media if they're going to the elite club or if they're you know they've got their new car do you think that's even worse now or do you do you just think it's just yeah well I guess it's all like what you're saying it's always been there but now there's an absolute massive 
force of seeing it everywhere it's not just in your car park for example at the office <laughs> yeah and um, so i find this quite interesting because i think i can only see it through the lens of me today yeah, yeah, yeah. right because mm. and me today looks at people posting look at me i'm all, i've i've hit salesman of the quarter and things like that on linkedin i'm thinking your customers don't want to see that you're a brilliant salesperson <laughs> i love that you say that <laughs> so, so actually you're, you're showing off to your peers but your customers are seeing that too and actually i think that's a really good bad look so uh, but this is me today right and i'm 60 years old today this is me today with 40 years of experience going I think that's just seen now as showing off, right? Okay. Now that's the social media aspect of needing to show and validate and self-validate and what have you. But actually, people need to remember their customers are seeing that, the people they're selling to and trying to establish trust and relationship. And if you go, look, I've got a brilliant new watch and look at my fantastic new car I've just won for being brilliant at selling, the customers are going to go, okay, have you got my best interest at heart here? Or actually, are you just selling me stuff? because you want to get a new car and that and so for me that's a bad look right and they say I'm, I'm conscious that perhaps 30 years ago and i do remember you know coveting other people's rolexes at, at the time do you think you would have then getting, right? if, if you were if you were going into sales now you're 30 year old 20 year old 29 year old stuff do you think you would have got caught in this horrible web of it i do yeah i do and it and it's difficult not to still if i'm honest but I'd say I'm I'm now got a 60 year old eyes and a 60 year old brain and I'm looking at it differently because it and it's not to say you know that sounds like I'm going do you know what I'm old and and I can see that you're all wrong I'm not I'm what I'm saying is for me I know what I what works for me now and that doesn't work for me it's not I don't want to say everyone's wrong for that because you know mm. that's saying what I did all the way through my life was was well that was that was good but now you're doing the same as me then you're wrong so that, that's that's a bad look too. Steve, I just want to sort of pick your brains a little bit more here because um, I'm not sure if I've ever shared this with you, Kelly, but my, my backstory is in sales. I actually was in IT recruitment. Don't um, think I knew that. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I started working in the industry in my early 20s. Um, I ended up setting up my own business, which was an SAP recruitment uh, company, turned it into a multi-million pound enterprise, won awards, Young Entrepreneur of the Year award, got invited to number 10 Downing Street to have breakfast with the Prime Minister, I'm uh, not proud of it. It was Tony Blair, but at the time, it's great. <laughs> Richard Reed from Innocent, who sold his business to Coca-Cola for £750 million, having breakfast with the Prime Minister. But anyway, cut long story short, it was very much about status and ego. It was about cars, Rolex, fancy nightclubs, spending as much as, as you could, having a great time. A young kid earning more money than I had since. And it went to my head. I was very much a Wolf of Wall Street existence. And I don't use that analogy lightly because, you know, at that point, this is, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it was an industry where you could make a lot of money and it was all about status. And it was that the the, the what you described, you kick down doors. It was the kind of rape and pillage approach. Get as much as you can, get out yeah. and get on to the next deal. We were literally being programmed in that way. Um, the reason I work in mental health today is that led me to a point where I burnt out. I lost everything. I had a breakdown and I actually tried to end my own life. That's why I work in mental health. That's why I set this organization up. It wasn't because of academic background or professional qualifications. It was first-hand experience. And when I went through that in, 2000, um, in 2001, I found that there really wasn't a lot of people out there equipped to support young people that are having this experience. It was becoming more common, dot-com bubble burst. And, you know, we, have, we had that kind of challenging economic period where 
things were being reset, but we just weren't equipped to cope. Sadly, 20 years later, even though we're a little bit better talking about it, it's actually now affecting more people than it was back then. What are your thoughts in terms of the fact that, you know, I, I was young then and you'll, you, you, you'll be uh, able to remember what it was like in that point where it was about status and the yuppies and the BMWs and the mobile phones and the Do rest of it. Do you not think it still is? I think it's worse today, actually. I, if I, 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 I was, I was going to I was gonna say it's it's hard not to like, yeah. I mean, like I had a conversation with my brother yesterday, very similar, and he's done very, very well. And he's like, I'm at the top of the mountain and yet I'm still not happy. He was like, I kept thinking like when I got this paycheck in or I got this in my life or I owned this amount of this and this is this. He was like, and he just rang me yesterday and was like, I've done that now, 32 and I'm still not had the eureka moment. And I was like, that's a very, like, I feel like we moved the goalposts. Like I, I look at my, I try not to have a vision board now um, because I had that. Um, and when I started at Quarter Cloud, I had like a vision board of things that I wanted to achieve. And I f- assumed if I ticked these things off, that, that I would feel is a bad hole that I'd done, I, that I was a better person. I was the best mum because they'd got these things. But yeah, you get that thing and then you're like, oh, I'm still me with my insecurities and issues. So yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, and like, I don't, I, yeah, I think maybe it's human nature. Well, I, I think to, to talk further into that, Kelly, I think you know for, for me i had my eureka moment my spiritual epiphany at the point where i lost everything where i realized mm-hmm. actually the things that i had collected the material things didn't define me it was actually who i was underneath that and we are living in a world that's constantly programming us that you, you know it's the stuff we collected it's the the things that we order off amazon prime it's what your house it looks like what you've got parked in your driveway and i think we're moving further away from what is really important and i think this this conversation like this for me hopefully will inspire people that are listening to start to focus on what is really important i think it's a really good point the yeah and and i want to go back to what i said right at the beginning is actually if and this might have been off air i can't remember but i said if i behaved like i behaved in the 80s today i'd be sacked right and 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 it goes and it, it does go back to the the, the culture and the way we felt like we needed to work and focusing on the wrong things. And I think, uh, Neil, just almost what you're saying there is, is focusing on being successful and however you define successful. And, you know, it's a you know podcast, it's audio, so um, people can't see, but I'm, I'm a person with no hair, same as yourself, Neil, right? Mine actually, these days I'd, I'd call it more lifestyle choice, but actually 20 years ago, my hair just fell out because I was stressed. Or started falling out. I got alopecia because I because I was distressed in work. And what was really funny, and something you just said there, the, the, your eureka moment. My wife would say to me, and Kelly knows my wife Lindsay, right? My wife would say to me, "Steve, you're stressed. You are." And I'd go, "I'm not stressed, me. I'm a bloke. I'm not stressed. I don't get stressed." She go, "No, you really are stressed." And this went on for maybe I don't know. So six were you months. were you married at this point? You were together when you lost. Yeah, your yeah. I was. It was just probably about. I was probably 40 so okay. we've been married 12 years even by then mm-hmm. so it's quite a long time already so so you can't you can't blame Lindsay on me losing my hair Kelly if that's what you're no 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 I was just <laughs> I, no I was just wondering whether it happened to you <laughs> no I wasn't gonna say that but like I don't wonder no. whether it happened with you pre that she was with you because interestingly I I did a podcast this week with a gentleman who actually puts everything to his partner of why he didn't go down a bad route um, because she was so oh. early doors of, so I was just wondering whether like, and she did pick it up and she was saying, but your attitude was, I'm a yeah. man, I'm not getting stressed. 
Correct. That's, that was 100% my attitude. I'm, I'm a bloke. I don't get stressed, me. And she said, no, you really are stressed. You really are. And the alopecia, basically, my hair used to fall out. It was falling out in like 50p size pieces, right? So clumps of hair were falling out. It's horrible, really. Uh, which, you know, of course, added more to my stress, right? And I gradually, I was trying to grow it long to comb it over. I was just gradually shaved it off. And in the end, I thought, you know what, I'm going to shave it all off which I did. And, uh, you know, so spent six quid on a Gillette Mac three razor or whatever it was, shaved all my hair off. And it was that moment. It was, it was one of those, it was the weirdest, weirdest thing, right? Because at that moment I shaved my head off, uh, my hair off. Literally, as I took the last stroke, it was like a whole weight lifted off my shoulder. And I went, ah, I was stressed. I really was stressed. And that was the most amazing thing. And ever since then, and I still get stressed today, but when Lindsay now says, you're stressed, Steve, I go, "My actually, my immediate reaction is, no, I'm not stressed. I'm a bloke. I don't get stressed. But then instantly I go, or am I? Right. And then we chat through what, what I'm, what's going on and why. So and it also goes back to what I said earlier, you know, it's a thing today. So there's lots of professional help and you can go and chat. Back then it wasn't. There wasn't a, there wasn't this capability. Maybe if I'd known about Neil's organization that would have helped. But uh, back then there wasn't. But actually, I use Lindsay as my um, as my helper to chat through stuff, right? And we'll just go for a long walk, and we'll, you know, we we just call it a conundrum. We go out and just spend an hour or two walking walking around um, countryside, seaside, wherever happens to be, chatting through whatever that problem happens to be that I've now realised is uh, is causing me some stress. And she's an intelligent girl, so between us, we can figure out, you know, a good answer, and. You know, it, it ultimately has helped me become a lot more relaxed as a person. I'm a, I'm a much more cool, cool, calm and considered sort of individual now in the way I approach work, in a way I approach anything, really, and which I wasn't before. And that's all because now I, I think through stuff. And I say more often than not, Lindsay has to tell me I need to think it through because it hasn't triggered necessarily that I'm stressed. But at least now when she says you're stressed, even though immediately I tend to say no, my next reaction is, or am I? And then we have this conversation. Just wanted to pick up on that, Steve, because some something we found is that there could be ambient stress in your life. There's challenges with work, life, finances, whatever, that causes a reaction. Like, for example, in your situation, it, it, it was your hair falling out. And then we're getting more stress because our hair's falling out. And this, you kind of get yourself stuck in a vicious cycle. The thing that you're stressed about is actually creating more stress, which is making the problem worse. And yeah. that, that sense of relief that you describe when you've, you've, you've finally got rid of the last bit of hair because you no longer need to be stressed about your hair falling out because it's not a problem anymore. We found this with many other issues that, that, that specifically affect blokes that we just don't talk about. For example, erectile dysfunction, people getting stressed that they're they're experiencing issues with their libido and the stress about it actually creates more of the issue or people that have mm -hmm. panic attacks they get stressed that they're going to have a panic attack and the stress actually brings on and causes the panic attack and if we get better at talking about this then we learn how to break that cycle if that makes sense because otherwise most of us are finding ourselves in ever diminishing circles i can relate to the panic yeah, and i think that's yeah. important it's yeah sorry Kelly. it's important because actually just saying it and more, the more people say, yeah, do you know what? I get stressed or I have panic attacks or whatever. It normalizes it, right? And you go, mm. actually, it's not a bad thing. It isn't bad. I'm not unusual. And that in itself helps sort of bring bring you back down to the ground, right? And and uh, I think, again, it's just, it's just important that these, you know, and thanks, Kelly, for inviting us because actually 
speaking about it out loud is really important. I think there's a point there of normalising, destigmatising these conversations, because when it happens, we feel all alone, isolated, like we're the only ones going through this. There are so many extremely common issues that we experience as a society that we never talk about. Miscarriage is one. And I mean, my ex had five miscarriages. And it's only when you've had that experience and you start talking to people, you realise like one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Even though it's that normal, when it happens, it's like, oh, my God, there's something really wrong with us. Or people experience depression or as I said, like the kind of things we've talk, spoken about today, whether that's depression, stress, anxiety, erectile dysfunction, whatever it is, these are so common. But because we don't talk about it, we don't even know it's an issue. I think that's the importance and value of these kind of conversations. And anyone listening today, if you've ever experienced anything that's impacted your mental health, your well-being, you aren't alone. In fact, Kelly and I were talking about this earlier. There was a study that was shared recently that's shown that 86% of people on planet Earth, by the time they get to 40, will have experienced depression. Most people at some point in their lives will experience something that triggers an experience which is going to cause depression. It's so normal and natural, yet when it happens, it can feel devastating and debilitating and like it's the end of the world and you're the only one going through this. Yeah. Same as loneliness, actually. And, and, yeah. I, and I wonder, going back to your social media uh discussion earlier i think loneliness in young people is is a real big deal right mm. actually more connected than ever but actually less connected in real terms you know mm. less friends uh, you know a smaller circle of friends and, and uh, stuff like that and i think loneliness is a is a real big issue that that perhaps leads to you know stress and depression and all of the other all of the other sort of things that can extend out of that Loneliness is such an interesting one because people often laugh, particularly for those of us who live in big cities. I live in London. There's eight million of us that live in London. It was recently voted as the loneliest place, uh, loneliest city on the planet. 55% of people in London experience chronic loneliness. Now, again, there are a lot of people that might kind of roll their eyes at this. It's been taken so seriously. We were involved in some research on this in 2018. The government actually appointed a loneliness minister. Yeah, that's correct. You can look this up for yourself. Britain has a government minister for loneliness. Sadly, as in with several recent appointments, they are token positions. It does need to be taken seriously because chronic loneliness can be classified as a mental health condition. And this isn't I'm alone. There's people around. I feel disconnected and isolated. And this is exactly talking to what you're suggesting here, Steve is that social media, the way we live, work, the way we communicate, there would have been a point three or four years ago, this podcast would have been three of us in a room together having a discussion. We've got accustomed to, we've got used to doing things virtually. Mm. There's a lot of people out there that play a video game for eight hours a day that they get paid for. All of their interactions are virtual. And there's obviously a degradation of human relationships, of the water cooler coffee machine moments, of the the actual getting to know each other as people. And I'm lucky, obviously, because we work with Kelly. I'll have a lot of conversation with affair so i know what's going on in her life to a degree but if it wasn't for that it would have been straight down to business Mm. and i think that's what we've been reduced to is a series of technical functional operational conversations also going back to um communicating and talking i went to uh ucl university and they were they're doing a talk on, on a research paper of um of their cybersecurity um, and other universities and the impacts and, and problems of it. And the biggest thing was that they didn't communicate. So if one got taken down with an attack, they didn't share. And so out of the paper was, let's you know make sure that we build a community and we talk. Anyway, so I thought I'd go and talk to the lady that did the research. And I was like, oh, very interesting paper. Thank you for inviting me. I was like, oh, um, out of the people you interviewed, how many were men? She's like, well, why do you ask that? 
And I was like, well, out of the university and the people that would have communicated the crisis and got advice, how many of them men? And she was like, oh, I think it, I think it was like something like 87%. If it's around in the 80s, if I've got it wrong. And I was like, oh, she was like, why are you so interested in that? And I was like, well, normally women, when something goes wrong, we ring each other or we send a text message or go, mm. oh God, this has happened. What's your tip? You know, like the kids have drawn crayon all over the husband's going back an hour. <laughs> You'll text your mate going, have you had this? What's the best product? Can you get it out? There's some sort of okay with that or we'll go you know you'll joke that we all go to the bathroom or we all natter for ages there is a little more openness with that um so i i, I don't know whether steve agrees or i'll think this but because we're such a male industry and, and even so there's even less women on the top that would make those decisions or go it's okay to share with our counterparts that they do keep it in isolation they take all that pressure on themselves they then don't talk to another university to see or how would they do it or if they got someone on their team to you know come in and help or might be able to remediate it's a very it's very weird and um i asked lawrence about this who's if everyone hasn't met lawrence he's our head of cyber but he was like it's it's like a unthing you don't ask someone you're asking them to display their dirty laundry of how they've had a cyber attack and men just don't do that we don't tell you the bad bits i don't know whether steve if you thought about that because also neil offline said very interestingly he's run a webinar for mental health in this industry and yet again the women turn up Mm. Uh, it's like how do we start knocking those you know walls down how and i know it's not gonna be easy and you are very open with this which has been great but actually out of the people that i asked to be the podcast you were one of the first it took me a while to warm up other people to come on it so i don't know if you had any thoughts on the industry of how we could i don't think it's gonna be an easy fix i'm not saying that but it's it's not an easy fix and and i mean it's a bloke thing right blokes aren't good at it you just you just said that we're not good at talking about feelings because I don't know. It's a genetic thing. I don't know. I don't know. Right. But we never have. It's something we've never done. And it's quite hard because actually it's a little bit embarrassing. Right. Or you don't want to expose yourself to your friends and your and your work colleagues as perhaps being weaker. You know, there's a you know, I couldn't possibly have an idea of why that is from a from a sort of a physical makeup of, of a, a bloke. Why we are like that. Sure, there are people that understand that. But I think it's a bloke thing, right? And we don't like embarrassing ourselves, admitting to our faults and what have you. It's, it's slightly different to why a customer who's had a cyber attack doesn't want to talk about it, right? Because there's mm-hmm. brand reputation and and they boil that down to sort of financial gain and, you know, let's say brand reputation generally. But individuals, maybe it's the same. Maybe we don't want to ruin our own brand, right? And, you know, in, in some organisations where actually there's good recognition of mental health, it's probably still quite hard to put your hand up or stick your head above the parapet and say, actually, yeah, that's me. Um, um, you know, maybe for me, i am got to a point in my career where I don't mind, right? If people think less of me, well, actually, do you know what? I think less of you for thinking less of me. And But I've, I'm, I'm okay now because I'm older, wiser, in inverted commas. I can stand up and say, actually, it affects me. Would, would the 40-year-old me have done that or the 30-year-old me have done that? I'm not entirely sure, right? But you know that that that's where I find myself at is is yeah you know, I'm not embarrassed, embarrassed or afraid, and then, and in fact you know I'm quite an advocate for mental health 
support for you. You know, you've got to look after yourself, right? And understanding that you're stressed, understanding that you're depressed, understanding that you're lonely. You know, we all know the answer, right? Once you once you admit to it, you can worry about fixing it. If you don't admit to it, how can you possibly try and fix it? And so, as a, you know, same is true of many things. So for me, standing up and saying, "Yeah, actually, that's me. That is." Um, even though it's still hard and even though I still have, you know, get very stressed about stuff, you know, I'm still a fundamentally different person today than I was back then due to that, well, not due to that eureka moment, but as a result of finally realising that actually I do get stressed, right? Very, you know, very, very stressed at that time because it made me hair all fall out. But, you know, you've got to accept that that's you sometimes and uh, then you can deal with it. Just, just want to pick up on your point around: is it biological? Is it genetic? Uh, I just, just want to clarify that 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 is not the case. This is cultural programming, and that we're programmed to what the archetype and what the role is of a man in in, in a society. In, in I'm talking particularly contemporary society. This hasn't always been the case. There have been many matriarchal societies historically where they were structured differently. We're already seeing that changes significantly where there are younger generations that are more open and, and, and are willing to talk about it and express when they're struggling. Um, the, the, yeah, uh, what, what challenge exists to that is that you've got people from the older generations like Piers Morgan that would label them the snowflake generation because they are willing yeah. to open up and talk about it. Now, I think for me, this is it's a good thing, but there are people that grew up in a different world where grown men don't cry soldier on pull your socks up and get on with it most people don't understand the origins of those phrases it's kind of like you know when we sing ring a ring of roses like mm. most people think it's a cute little nursery rhyme it's about the bubonic plague yeah, nice. those phrases that i'm talking about the pull your socks up soldier on they come from the first and second world war where we had to do those things we aren't living for us in britain today we aren't living in wartime conditions pulling your socks up soldiering on and just getting on with things is only saving up a bigger problem for another day and that's where there are sadly many people that are are, are being overwhelmed i think we need to change the narrative that are more that makes it more relevant for the world we live in today and have more role models and leaders people like yourself steve that are willing to talk about this because now what you're doing is you're inspiring others to do the same and when people hear your story they might think well you know what i've experienced this too and you've suddenly now made it okay for others to do the same Yet there are those of us, myself included, that grew up in a world where I saw my dad bury his parents and his two sisters, didn't shed a tear. And he was he would always say, life just goes on. Strong man. Never saw him shed a tear, apart from when England went out of the World Cup. I think it was in 1992. <laughs> That's the only time I think I saw him ever share any emotion. But... You know, for, for, for men growing up, particularly over the last 20 or 30 years, it wasn't safe or OK for us to express emotions. And I think by being willing to show that this is OK and the more of us that do this, we then start to change the landscape and make it more comfortable for others to do the same. Yeah, 100% agree. You did say that there were some cultures, though, that, that the then the, the male world is not the same as it is like generally. Is that right? Did you say that? Yeah, so if we look for, for, for our history, there were matriarchal cultures. We live in obviously patriarchal cultures yeah. where, you know, Cleopatra and the, the, there were some Amazonian cultures that, 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 that were, were matriarchal. They were, they, they were led by women and the approach was different. There was something I read the other day and I, I, I can't vouch for its validity, but every war that's ever been started on the planet was started by a man. <laughs> Uh, I Amen think that to was that. Wrong. Amen to that, that. that. There is no way what happens in war, if a woman was in control, that would happen. I'm sorry. Things that have happened like bombing a hospital with kids or babies. I can never see a board of women going, that's the target. 
It would never happen. It would never happen. It's just, it blows my mind. Like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not surprised by that. I'm really not. But that, but that again, itself is an argument for gender balance, right? I can't say if that's true or not. I read it. It's someone else's quote, but it may well be true. I encourage you to fact check that for yourselves. I just, I just, I just think women would always want to find a better way. But I think they would compromise, I think. They would compromise. It goes to what you said earlier, Kelly, I think, about sort of... Um, sort of gender balance or you know mm. just balance generally in, in an organization at executive levels and as you said if, if women wouldn't you know kick off and start a war which i can completely believe would be true then actually having a, a good balance of uh, a different uh, diverse you know a diverse board to lots of the different opinions yep. with lots of yeah i'm stuck on the word balance now but just a balanced view of the world would actually encourage a lot of this stuff and would create a more positive environment, which actually perhaps didn't generate the stress in the first place, right? Mm. And a, a lot of these things, I think, is still going to be hard to get away from. But if the culture is is such that, you know, I don't know, people are treated more uh, fairly with better respect or, or whatever and feel they can be open about things, then it's clearly a, a better thing, right? And I, I think it's important that we take this conversation a little bit further forward because we're not just talking about gender. This isn't just male, female. And we're talking about the difference between masculine and feminine energy. Mm. Uh, again, I'm not getting into that kind of you yeah, know yeah. pronouns. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the masculine energy. And obviously the IT industry is masculine. It's structure, process, logic, problems presented, solutions found. That is the field of the masculine. The field of the feminine is being present. Is emotional expression, is is being willing to explore, is creativity, right? So this is is the energy. All of us, every single one of us, I don't care how macho you are, we're all in the dance with the masculine and the feminine, right? What we've done is we've created an industry that is masculine by its very nature, and it started to make it or not, not started to, it's always been a little bit uncomfortable to go into the field of the feminine. What we're now seeing, particularly with some of the forward-thinking tech companies, is really embracing that because that's where the, a lot of the creativity comes, that particularly in the AI field, we're starting to see a lot more of the being present. It's not just about finding problems and fixing them, and that's where we've seen these quantum shifts in AI. Because I've actually spoken to people high up in AI, and there's this, they're understanding that the, 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 the balance there and how they need to bring that in. Because otherwise, it's just like problem, solution, problem, solution, logic, process, analytics. We're, we're at a, a place now where technology is jumping way beyond that. And I saw that recently with New York. They've got their robot police officers. And that's actually true, by the way. You can Google it. And uh, these, these, these AIs need to have kind of emotional relatability, right? So I guess what I'm saying is, how do we bring the field of the feminine into a masculine industry? Because exactly as you said, Kelly, that webinar that was on yesterday, predominantly male industry, there was one bloke and out of like, I don't know, a couple of hundred people, one bloke, everyone else was women, totally unrepresentative of the industry. How do we start to make those connections and reach out to people that operate in a masculine industry and get them to be more in touch with their feminine aspects? So one of the things uh, in a previous company I worked for, uh, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, how the, the the art of sales has evolved. And it used to be a kick the door down, grab an order and do a runner sort of thing, right? It was uh, the rape and pillage example you gave, Neil. And it's moved into much more strategic partnership level engagements with your customers because actually customers want you to help them solve their business problems. They don't want to buy a product from you. They want They've got a business issue they need to solve 
and they want you to help them solve that, right? Whether that's, you know, I mean, it could be a million different things, right? But it's but feminine because no, no, it's nurture, isn't it? It's, it's, root, nurture, it's nurture, it's nurture now. It's empathy. Yeah, it's, 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 it's empathy, where we're saying about right? feminine it's energy. Mm-hmm. It's nurture. Yeah. They don't it's, need it's you to be the hero. Out. They don't need you to be the caveman and to knock the door down and throw in the meet and be like i've saved you goodbye and leave it's like yeah. oh no this is my house and i've built it help me protect it this is these are the gaps and these are the holes if you could sort this out that would be great do you know a good plumber like it's that is that yeah. best mate it's that consultative it's that warmth yeah and that is a, that is empathy. a new thing mm-hmm. yeah and and that's that's sort of a the direction of travel that sales is moving in right and actually so the last company i worked for before uh, before solera actually the company before that, the last but one, actually all of the training I had was on what I'm just going to call strategic sales, right? It was building shared visions. It was understanding, yeah, listening listening, and helping conversations through a customer lens, right? Listening with their, with their eyes and their, listening with their ears and looking in their eyes so that you can understand their problems, help them solve those problems. Right? And it's not, it's not, um, I mean, it's not, nothing too clever, right? If you can help them solve their problems, they're going to spend their money with you. So it's still selling, but actually it's making sure you're not trying to shoehorn in your product, your technology into their environment. It's really making sure that you're helping them. So that empathy around their problem, understanding intrinsically what their what their issues are they're trying to solve and how that will help their business. Yeah. Once you can start talking in their language, I say, and that's absolutely a feminine type, set of traits right that was all of the training we had we never had technology training in that company one before last we moved entirely i mean i was there 20 years so we had lots of technology training to begin with but in recent times it moved entirely to strategic selling right which was far more empathetic and customer customer led and i think so the bigger companies are doing that right mm. so the big tech is whether it's AI or otherwise, right? The big tech companies are all moving towards this sort of more strategic engagement model, and that's changing mindsets. And it, and it's a really hard one to change, right? Not, you know, not many people can make that step easily. And um, Neil, you'll probably know we we always used to talk about it: a left left brain, right brain, or left lane, right lane, actually. And and one was, and I forget, I think left lane was maybe maybe that's more of the male piece but anyway that was the transactional kick the door in sort of thing and the right lane was yes change change lanes and start thinking more strategically and what have you but that was that was all of the training and so there's a there's a big move i think across tech to get people to shift and shift the way the conversations are and what have you but you still get people showing off on linkedin saying look how brilliant i am at a salesperson because I've smashed my target and I'm off to the Caribbean for a week or well, something, I've, right? I've seen from, because obviously I interact with lots of different salespeople with lots of different technologies, and the ones that I I believe have done really well actually generally work with the same customers all the time. But they start in one company, they love that technology, they work with them for a few years, and then their customers are going, God, I, f- I could really do with this. So then they go and find that, this, they move there, they interview there, they land the job, and then they go to their customers. Oh, you know that problem you had? Oh, I've, I've moved there. I've got that tech. And I don't even think they know that they do the nurture. 
I think they think they're masculine and they're like, ooh, I've just done another sale. I just don't think they actually know that you work with probably 30, 40 clients that they, you know, some of the really good ones I know, they know when they're on holiday or they know when they've had a baby. Like they know their customers so well. I don't even think they know that they're nurturing. And if I said that, they'd be like, I'm not nurturing them. They're my customer. I'm like, but you, but you are. You're like, you are nurturing them. Absolutely. And I think there's an important point there because as human beings, it's it's the relationships we value yeah. that are not just the transactional functional ones. Some of our best clients are almost like friends. Do, yes. do you know what I mean? And when, yeah. You know, when we got that, when I got that kind of um, the, the the April Fool's Day prank and, it, it, you know, it looked like it had oh come God, from you. It was just like, uh, we haven't even I got, actually thought that. Have we even I covered thought, where it's come from? I think it might have been an internal one. I, I said, um, I said it has to be an internal. It was really funny, Neil. It was, it was, it was, it was <laughs> funny, but, but. The, the the funny thing though is that I didn't bat an eyelid. I thought, like <laughs> you know, because we have a laugh We're and a talk, but, anyway. you know, whether it's about work or, or life, I have the relationship with you. If you did prank me, it would have been okay. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like. How often would you, particularly, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, Steve, as a salesperson, would you even consider pranking one of your clients for April Fool's Day? It's, it just wouldn't happen because it was very yeah. much a transactional relationship. And I think this is really where we're getting to the point this is because the way we interact with each other has changed so much. The actual the amount of good human relationships you have is diminishing. But, you know, we've got one client and this is now the fourth company she's working for. And she's taken us into every company yeah. she's worked for because it's us. We have a human relationship. And I think when we get back to that is we get back to how every human civilization has flourished in the past. It was the direct human connections that, that built the strength of that community. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, we can even say it from people that have worked here that have moved and have brought you into new situations because they love what you did. I've got... We've got a graphics girl that works for me and I met her in the first agency job that I ever went to and we've always stayed in touch. But I work with her because I can just say one word and she knows what I'm thinking. She's so mm. easy to work with. So it's like, but then she's also a good friend. Like I know her birthday and, you know, so it, yeah, I think some, it is human relationship. And then the money bit gets less icky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Then you're like, oh, because we're doing this. So you're good to play me. Yeah, cool. It's like less icky. But I feel yeah. like when you don't know them, it's icky. It's like a, oh, oh yeah, now yeah. I'm gonna now I'm gonna bill you. And it's like, oh, that's that's not nice. But like, yeah, it's uh I don't know. I, I personally think without if there's any salesmen uh, or, or women listening, that they're when they use their feminine energy, um, maybe they don't or naturally know they're doing it, or would even call it that, are generally the, the best the best salespeople I've ever met. Um because they're doing it without knowing it. And they don't realise that they're nurturing. But and three terms. Back to... Go on, Neil. So, so I was just going to say there's three terms. And some of these may cause some of you to balk. Love, compassion and empathy. So empathy is being able to see the world through someone else's lens, particularly in a world where there is a lot of polarised perspectives. Love, what I'm talking about is the technical term for love, which is unconditional positive regard. No matter who you're talking to, find something that you can relate to, something you can love about them, whatever it is. And compassion is you don't necessarily need to see or understand what someone's experiencing, but being able to show compassion towards them. And those three things in any human relationship, whether that's with your partner, with your children, with your work colleagues or a potential client or customer, will allow you to be able to, as you said, nurture that relationship in a way that's that, that's likely to to be fulfilling for both sides. It's not just I'm going to show this to you so you buy my stuff. I'm going to do this because it means that we're going to be able to create a human connection, whether you buy from me or not. Mm. Okay, Steve, would you like to close the podcast on any other points? Oh, 
Uh, no, not not any other points. I mean, it is for me. It's just try and recognise that you are actually stressed. I mean, for me, that was the biggest thing. Uh, you know, my wife was telling me, and she told me for months and months and months. And I was just saying, no, not me. I I don't get stressed. And eventually, I realised it. And as I even today, she'll say you're stressed, and I'll go, no, I'm not. And then I'll think, oh, or maybe I am, right? So actually, just try and just try and think about it because, you know, it's I don't know, it's 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 painful, right? It, it it's really difficult to go through. So trying to just, you know, uh, just think it through, right? And if you do get the chance to seek professional help, I absolutely would. I I never did because it wasn't a thing back then, and it was hard to get that you know that sort of help. But 100% today, I'd grab it both hands if it was there to help me. Um, so, yeah, and just don't be embarrassed because you, you can't win on your own. I think it's as simple as that for me.